Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Welcome back to another edition of Political Rewind. It's Monday. I hope you all had a restful, more importantly, healthy uh, weekend, whatever you did. Uh, It occurred to me this morning that I've almost lost track of how many weeks we've been sheltering in place to do this show. But then I recalled nine weeks. We're in our ninth week of uh, doing the show by remote. I'm continuing to do the show out of a spare bedroom in our house just outside of the city of Decatur. Tom Faust, Jesse Neiswanger, and Sam Bermestaus are actually at GPB in Midtown Atlanta, um, and I appreciate the fact that they've been doing uh, the work on this show from down there. And all of our panelists continue to join us uh, one way or another by telephone or uh, one of the sophisticated ways that our engineers have figured out how to get people like Jim Galloway and his colleagues at the AJC into the show with uh, actual recording equipment has really been wonderful. And we'll continue to do that show, the show that way for the time being. A couple quick notes, and then I'll introduce the panel. I spent some time this weekend responding to your emails, and I continue to want to get them. I want to know how the things are for you how your life is unfolding as you deal with the virus, uh, just um, write me at B-N-I-G-U-T, B-N-I-G-U-T, at gpb.org. If for some reason uh, you have written me and I haven't gotten back to you, ping me again because I really do want to try to respond to everybody who writes to me to talk about what's going on. Um, I also, and I know my whole team does, appreciate so much Uh, the fact that you're all telling us that the show has become really valuable to you in these difficult times. So we're really grateful uh, for uh, that. All right, uh, let's get started with the show. We have a great lineup for you today. Um, We are joined by Jim Galloway, uh, AJC lead political writer. He, of course, writes uh, for the Wednesday and Sunday newspaper and oversees the um, Political Insider blog at AJC.com. And Galloway, you put up on some social media platform, one social media platform at least, your work for the weekend. What did you do? Uh, that was my Mother's Day gift to my wife. It was a, a, a nice salad yeah. bowl out of Elm. A turned bowl. Uh, Jim, your talent is really wonderful. Is there a place that people can see that? I mean, listeners are really like you, do. Is there a way they can look at that? Uh, haven't figured that it? one out yet. Haven't figured that one out. Okay, just, uh, it's just a little sporadic <laughs> right. here and there. Okay, well, it's really lovely. Uh, I can tell you that. Uh, Sam Olins joins us today. We're glad to have you back, Sam. Of course, former Attorney General for the state of Georgia, and before that, Cobb County Commission Chair for a number of years, and also now a partner with the world's largest law firm, Denton. Sam, we're especially glad to have you on today uh, because you have some, I think, can bring us some insights as to how the Attorney General's office operates in times like these uh, with the Arbery case unfolding. How are you, Sam? Are you holding up all right in this uh, in this environment? Yeah, I've, uh, instead of just playing with wood, I just take really long walks, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Sam. Uh, Michael Thurman, the uh, CEO of DeKalb County, is also back with us today. 
Uh, Michael Thurman has held more offices in. Is there a record for how many offices you can hold? <laughs> State legislator, labor uh, commissioner, candidate for United States Senate. And Mike, I know how busy you are right now dealing with uh, virus matters in DeKalb, so we're really grateful to you for joining us. How are you holding up? Well, uh, it's, we're holding up. We're holding up. Uh, we're standing in the gap. And, you know, if you commit your life to public service, uh, you have to expect that at some point, at some time, you'll be called into a difficult situation. And that's where we are right now. So I'm blessed to have the opportunity to make a difference. Are you uh, going into your office every day? Or are you trying to re- – and, and beyond the office, are you having to uh, travel around the cab to see what's happening, and are you staying safe? Well, I don't go every day, but I do go in, and we have virtual meetings and or town halls and so forth, and uh, we have to do it from the office. I'll be going later today to meet with the mayor through the DeKalb Municipal Association. But it's also important to get out. We were out this weekend passing out uh, COVID care kits in one of the more hardest-hit uh, neighborhoods in DeKalb County. So it's a little of both. And yesterday, sometimes it's just good to get out and to see and try to see how people are responding to this crisis. I want to talk with you and uh, and the panel about how you're dealing with uh COVID-19 in DeKalb County, and we'll get to that in a little while. Uh, but let me uh, uh, first introduce Patricia Murphy, who is also joining us today. Patricia Murphy, a syndicated columnist whose columns uh, for a long time now have been syndicated. She r- writes for Roll Call, uh, Garden and Gun, your fun uh, writing uh, work, Patricia. And of course, Patricia, uh, until the lockdown, was uh, reporting for GPB TV's The Lawmakers. Patricia, how, are you getting a chance to write these days? I, especially, is Garden and Gun still uh, uh, occupying your time? Uh, Garden and Gun less so, although I have to say their current issue <clears throat> is about Southern heroes, and it is so beautiful, and I would really encourage people to enjoy it online or um, if they ever get to a new stand. Um, and yes, I'm writing for Roll Call and USA Today, and so um, keeping busy when I'm not keeping busy. <laughs> By the way, we should point out to people who are not familiar with Garden and Gun, the publication isn't what you might think when you first hear no. the name. It is largely a, a cultural, a very hip, cool uh, a magazine about cultural trends in, in the South. Fair way to say it? Yes, it also celebrates um, Southern makers, creatives, artists. There was a beautiful piece about Jericho Brown, who just won a Pulitzer Prize. Um, who's head of creative writing over at Emory University. And it, it was one of the most enjoyable articles I've read anywhere. Um, and it's how I was introduced to him and his work. And uh, and he's such a treasure for the state as well. So um, I would encourage people to okay. check that out too. Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, uh, you know, there's only one story this past week that has knocked the COVID story off the uh, front page. It hasn't knocked it out, but it's been almost as dominant a story here in Georgia, and for that matter, across the country. And that, of course, is the uh, shooting death of Ahmad Arbery. Jim Galloway, we've had some <clears throat> developments over the weekend in this case. Uh, as uh, everybody heard in the news, NPR news break, the Attorney General, Chris Carr, has now asked the DOJ 
to conduct an investigation into how this Arbery case unfolded. There, it's a complicated story. Uh, two DAs who passed the case on, but with delays that became very troubling, we reported uh, on Friday at just how long it took between the shooting on February 23rd to last week when finally the uh, GBI investigation led to the arrest of the uh, McMichaels. Uh, And we also have learned that the video of that shooting was available to uh, uh, law enforcement officials down in Glynn County over a month ago. They all saw it the first week of April. Uh, So it's been a troubling case, Jim, But now, Chris Carr, and here's his quote, we're committed to a complete and transparent review of how the Ahmaud Arbery case was handled from the outset. The family, the community, and the state of Georgia deserves answers. We will work with others in law enforcement at the state and federal levels to find those answers. Jim? Right, and now now we're learning that uh, uh, WSB is reporting that that Carr has appointed... uh, Joyette Holmes, the the Cobb County District Attorney, to take over the prosecution of that Brunswick case, uh, which is very interesting because she is an African-American woman uh, uh, appointed by Kemp. Uh, She is not she is not yet yet faced an election. But uh, when Vic Reynolds left for the GBI, uh, uh, Governor Kemp appointed her to take his place. Uh, Sam Olins, uh, we should point out. Uh, that it was Chris Carr's office that um, appointed, uh, after after the DA in Glynn County, Jackie Johnson recused herself from the case based on the fact that one of the McMichaels had worked, uh, had handled law enforcement matters in that office for a long, long time. Uh, it was Carr's office that then appointed George Barnhill to come in and uh, uh, and take over the case. He spent a lot of time uh, not doing much of anything, it appears, uh, before we re- realized, before it became clear he was going to recuse himself as well. But, but now Chris Carr has said, look, I had no idea just how this was being handled down there. And now Carr has appointed uh, a, 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 a DA who I, I assume he imagines can really get to the bottom of a lot of this. Sam? Well, first, um, the, the facts get worse and worse. So in the uh, notice from General Carr this weekend, uh, the second DA was actually asked uh, pretty much immediately after the murder to start doing work on the file way before the request ever went to the state AG. I just have never seen that happen before. Uh, I've also never seen an AG... uh, Excuse me, I've never seen a DA immediately opine on whether there should be an arrest in a murder case with so little investigation. And, of course, that was followed by that second DA sending a letter to the police department that there is no case, knowing at that time he needed to recuse himself and several days later putting it in writing. So but by definition, that fact pattern is atrocious. Uh, you know, if you recuse yourself, you recuse yourself. You're not engaged in the active uh, discussions involving the case. So I think General Carr has the absolute right to feel that this has been an atrocious investigation uh, and that there is no excuse uh, for the delay in, uh, in justice. 
Well, and I think I would just add to that something that makes me most concerned and most um, alarmed, and I guess, but also unfortunately not that surprised, is that the only reason we all know about this um, is because the video was eventually released. And so you have to ask what would have happened if this video had not been released and um, made available to the public, and then after just a huge public outcry, and really for also for Chris Carr to see with his own eyes, and all of us to see uh, what just seems to be indisputable, or at the very least worthy of a deep, deep outside investigation. And I think in any um, small community, when you have the DAs who know, know very well the people in the community, uh, know the attorneys very well, um, there could be political pressure, personal pressure placed on these cases. Um, I think it's so important to have an outside review of some of these cases, and you just have to wonder how many other Ahmad Aubrey's are out there. Yeah, let me, because this can get complicated, If I'll just take a moment to uh, lay out uh, the timeline on this. So um, uh, uh, Ahmad Arbery was shot and killed on February 23rd. The case should have been then brought to the, the Glen County Police, uh, uh, presumably investigated it immediately, uh, and they brought it to the DA of Glen County, Jackie Johnson. But interestingly enough, even on the day after the shooting, February 24th, she had already decided that because Gregory McMichael had worked for the department for 20 years before his retirement, she was going to turn it over to George Barnhill. So on February 24th, the day after the shooting, as Sam Olitz points out, there was no effort to go through the state attorney general to uh, request a different DA to be brought into the case. Barnhill immediately picks up the case. He meets with Glynn County detectives on the morning of February 24th, and by noon, we're told now, had advised them that this was an act of justifiable homicide and, uh, and that he felt that the case, uh, th- they should continue their investigation, but clearly he'd already determined in his own mind, at least, that this was an act of justifiable homicide. So all that unfolds, and then we come all the way to beginning of April. No action has been taken whatsoever. Uh, on I believe it's April 3rd It uh, is the day that Barnhill decided he had to recuse himself, and then he wrote the letter, which Sam Olin's referred to, in which he uh, said this was justifiable homicide under Georgia law. Uh, The McMichaels felt threatened. They had a right to to shoot uh, Arbery. And, um, And it's, again, then when we learned that the video of this shooting had been known, well known by, by law enforcement uh, as, as recently as April 1st. And yet, it's only once the video is made public, as a couple of you pointed out, that any action transpires. Somebody want to pick up on that and, 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 and go forward with it, Jim Galloway? No, no, I, I tell you what, I'm going to defer to Michael Thurman on this one, because uh, I, I, yeah. I would like to know how, yeah. how this, whole, uh, this whole incident has, has resonated with him. Michael? Well, I've given it a lot of thought. And let me deal with a couple of things. I think Patricia mentioned it some both as well. But for the video. But in fact, African-American leaders in Brunswick, 
Glenn County, along the coast, NAACP, Amina Glass, and others have been raising this issue and concern from day one of the incident. And so what this is, sadly, is an example. And many African-Americans, the reason we say, oh, but for the video. In other words, the, the, the word or the concerns raised by African-American leaders and white leaders regarding this horrible incident were basically ignored. And that fact that the concerns, the, 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 the fears of African-Americans when bought to authorities, are ignored, and this is going to play out in a later conversation we have about COVID. So what this reminds me more than anything else, as horrendous as the, what appears this murderous act was, is what you really see is state-sponsored racism. This harkens back to the 60s when prosecutors and elected officials would do nothing to address issues of injustice and murder. So that's what this is and the evidence, and I hope everyone will walk away recognizing that things have changed, but they still remain the same in 2020. This is exactly what it was. We may as well have been in Mississippi or rural, any other part of rural Georgia 50 years ago. So as, as stark as the CEO's comments are, they're also accurate. Uh, when you consider that, that the evidence of justifiable homicide or the evidence to even merit a citizen's arrest are non-existent, just don't exist. If you look under Georgia law, they had no right to allege citizen's arrest. The, 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 the final thing I would say there is the DA from Brunswick has a history uh, which isn't positive. Uh, many of you may remember the ladies named Carolyn Small. Uh, there have been numerous uh, matters in Brunswick where the DA has failed the public and, and, DA the, and failed the justice system. This is just the latest. Uh, and uh, with regard to what you know, Mike said, I mean, it, it, it's unbelievable in 2020 that you just saw lynching. Uh, let's do this, Mike. I want to get you back, but before I do, because your comments uh, are really point us to listening to what Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms of Atlanta said on CNN uh, just this weekend. And I want to play that and then send it back to you, Mike, to uh, continue the conversation. Here's what uh, uh, Mayor Bottoms said the other day. But I think, again, it's a part of this bigger issue that we are having in this country. Um, with the rhetoric that we hear coming out of the White House in so many ways, I think that many who are prone to being racist um, are given permission to do it in an, an overt way that we otherwise would not see in 2020. Uh, I have four kids, three of whom are African-American boys. Um, they are afraid. They are angry and they are afraid. And I think that it speaks to the need to have leadership at the top that cares for all of our communities and, and not just in words, but in deeds as well. 
So uh, the bite we didn't play is the one in which uh, Mayor Bottom said, and this is a direct quote, had we not seen that video, I don't believe the McMichaels would be charged. It is heartbreaking. It is 2020. Mike, just what you're talking about. And this, Bottoms went on and said, this was a lynching of an African-American man. Mike, a very stark uh, statement to be made by the mayor of Atlanta. Why don't you oh. pick it up? Yes, yeah, she spoke uh, succinctly and she was eloquent and on point. Uh, mayor Bottoms spoke to uh, what not just black people, but people of goodwill are thinking and knowing to be true is what my friend Sam Olin just alluded to. And But we have to I appreciate what the attorney general is, is doing. Uh, I appreciate the words from the uh, uh, Governor Kemp, but I don't want to uh, overlook the fact that James Woodall, the state NAACP president, the local NAACP, these were people without national media were fighting the fight that kept it alive and qu quite frankly laid the foundation for others to come. Now, something Jim Galloway wrote, I guess, a week ago that I've been thinking about. Now, this hopefully is an inflection point for our state, if not our nation. Uh, the fact that leaders, not just Democrat, but also Republican leaders, are not just speaking out, but as the Attorney General did, Chris Carr, taking action. I hope this will be, now we always hope these things happen and then they seem to fade away. But I hope this is an inflection point for our state that should be passed uh, hate crimes, a, a bill. It should be made stronger. The one that's passed the House and now is um, just being held in the Senate should be strengthened. Uh, it has the support of the uh, Speaker of the House. And, Jim, you wrote about it. So w what are your thoughts? What do you see, if anything, that's going to be different this time? Well, I, I will tell you what. The the one thing I I, I did see was was, and, and this this was kind of interesting. It was it was uh, the the GOP reaction was led by Chris Carr. Uh, it didn't come out of the White House. Uh, I th uh, I think the the the, the governor f followed suit, and you know there is a. I was with Carr last year in April. Uh, where they were in in Cartersville when they were putting up a, a marker to to uh, Amos Ackerman, he was uh, uh, appointed by Ulysses Grant as Attorney General, and people forget he he was he was the fellow who led the Republican administration's anti clan uh, uh, forces immediately following the Civil War, and what. Chris Carr has been talking about is leading the GOP back to that original intent, uh, and and I th and and I, I th I'm 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 guessing here I, I have yet to talk to him, but I'm I'm presuming that this is this is part of what he's talking about. So, so Jim, uh, the uh, Mr. Thurmond had mentioned um, the hate crime bill that's come out of the House. I believe that has only to do with sentencing guidelines once a person has already been charged and convicted. Um, and my question for you, Mr. Thurmond, also is what role could the Justice Department uh, play in something like this in a hate crimes situation um, if the locals are not taking action? 
Um, the Trump administration has uh, seen a rather dramatic drop in prosecutions in their federal hate crimes, I think down about 60 percent. What could be done in this situation if there wasn't a video? Um, but what? who else could step in and do something? Well, I'll defer to Sam Olins. The Attorney mm-hmm. General probably could speak more succinctly than I could on this issue, but then I'll follow up after Sam. Okay. So the, the bill in Georgia, uh, House Bill 246, is um, the, the standard around this country. Uh, it's just minimalist in punishment. So I agree with the CEO that it's a bill, but it's not a strong bill, but it's the strongest representative administration could get out of the House. And, of course, it hasn't seen a single hearing in the Senate, so that's a problem. Uh, as relates to the feds, Patricia, they generally take a very subdued attitude until the states have responded. And it's generally when either inaction occurs at the state level or the um, sentencing or jury result is inadequate, perceived inadequate, that the feds get engaged. Mm-hmm. I think here what, what General Carr did in requesting uh, Bobby Christine to start an investigation, it's technically not on the hate crimes issue. It's on the alleged improprieties that have occurred over the last couple of months in handling the investigation. Generally, it's Maine Justice in Washington that, that takes the lead uh, from a potential hate crimes uh, legislation. Let, let's face it, if the new DA goes to a grand jury and whoever is guilty, knowing there may be more than two, are given significant sentences, it's less likely that the Fed would have a concurrent um, prosecution. But, you know, it's in, Mike Thurman, I want to get you into this, but I, I want to add a little something to what you, you just said, Sam. I, I want to tell you, I will tell you who was one of the biggest fighters for the Department of Justice uh, getting active in hate crimes prosecutions, in making sure that states understood how important they were, in, in, take, in, in making sure that in her district, uh, the feds had a role in hate crime. It was Sally Yates when she was uh, U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Georgia. She was very determined about this subject, Mike. And, uh, and it, I think it's fair to say it's quite true that right now the hate crimes legislation 426, Jim Galloway just reminded me, is a number on that bill. It, it would, it, we certainly know for a long time it's been needed here. Georgia is one of five states that still doesn't have a hate crimes Bill, the reasons we don't are almost as offensive and in terms of prejudice as some of the other stories we're following these days. Uh, primarily, the legislature has never wanted to protect gays and lesbians in a hate crimes bill, and that slowed it down and stopped it in the past. Mike, it's still secondary to what's going on right now, but it is important. Yes? Oh, absolutely. And I appreciate you mentioning that Ms. Yates' work. Uh, in this regard, and just writ large, if you stand back, and, and I mentioned it, there is a line, a direct line between Glenn County and this whole response to COVID-19. What people are really beginning to see and feel is that there is a lack of respect for African-American life. And these two things are playing out on two, and I think that may have influenced some of the response or the reaction 
from uh, conservative quarters because along parallel with that, there has been this outcry of lack of concern and focus and attention to African-Americans who are being infected by COVID-19. I think these two things have merged in the public mind, which is what led to at least some of the response from quarters where you would not have expected it. Before we get to a break, and we really have to take one, Jim, I don't want to uh, uh, neglect to mention Mayor Bottoms' comment that she lays a lot of the prejudice around a case like this at the feet of President Trump. Now, clearly, this involves partisanship. This is, you know, the way a Democrat perceives the president of the United States. But it's clear that over his three-plus years in office, there have been examples of his uh, seeming to uh, uh, encourage uh, white supremacists and 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 the racial divides that we're dealing with. So uh, he made a very uh, kind. He made a good remark about this on the uh, on Friday, saying he sympathizes with the family, but he is going to get a, a lot of criticism going forward on this case. I would imagine, Jim. Right, right, and 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 uh, if I could pick up uh, uh, one of Michael's thoughts here, is is that. I think again, in in addition to the the, the connection to the COVID nineteen, I think the response, the quick response from the GOP, was also trying to anticipate uh, what what might be another Charlottesville remark coming out of Trump, and that would have that would have yeah. if, uh, if we're coming down hard hard on an election, that would have been hard to recover from. Well, you don't even have to go back to Charlottesville. You you can go to the the armed demonstrators in the Michigan state capitol uh, uh, rallying to get Michigan opened back up again and President Trump basically expressing sympathy and saying they were a lot of good people. So he's done that as recently as just a couple of weeks ago. So so, uh, you're right, I think, there's an effort to sort of protect him or get ahead of him Uh, on saying anything like that uh, in this case. All right, let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. Mike Thurman has already anticipated it. Um, We do need to talk about COVID-19 in Georgia. And Mike, I want to talk about how you're uh, dealing with it in DeKalb specifically, because I think that leads us into a larger discussion about where we stand with the virus in the state right now. You're listening to Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Patricia Murphy, Michael Thurman, Jim Galloway, and Sam Owens joining us for Political Rewind today. Sam, before we get off of the uh, uh, story about Ahmad Arbery completely, as a former attorney general of the state, understanding the way things operate in that office, um, what should we anticipate and what are you hopeful will happen? What are the next steps that we, uh, uh, as observers of this, as citizens, can expect and, and what should we anticipate? So first, I expect that GBI will continue uh, to operate in fourth year and uh, 
seriously look at whether or not the individual who uh, recorded the video should similarly be arrested. I think that's in the more the short term. I think that uh, due to COVID, um, there is really no way to have a grand jury at the moment. You can't put a bunch of folks in a room to to hear evidence. So I think, unfortunately, that that is going to be delayed due to COVID. But let's face it, these folks are not going to get bail. They're going to be in the county jail where they should be at this point. Uh, so I think this gives the, the GBI and the to, to do the thorough investigation, you would normally see within a couple of weeks, potentially the, the grand jury, but that just can't happen at this time. Hey, Michael, how does that, do you think that will sit with the people who are outraged by what happened to Ahmad Arbery? Um, given that we've already seen these delays that, that, that appear to have been uh, filled with uh, uh, problems uh, the fact that we're not going to see a grand jury, I've already heard some civil rights leaders express their dismay over that. But as Sam Olins points out, these two men are likely to s- sit in jail no matter what. Well, yes, I think that's appropriate, as the uh, AG stated. But let me tell you, one of the better, I think, messages that will flow from this is the appointment of the Cobb County DA. That speaks volumes. And... Uh, I'll give the Attorney General huge amounts of credit for recognizing that the District Attorney, Holmes, uh, speaks more than words. She's an excellent prosecutor, high integrity. Uh, She has credibility among not just African Americans, but people of goodwill and want to see fairness done. And that more than anything that's been said, is, I think, the most important development uh, in this case since it became widely known throughout the public. And I'm confident that she is going to do a good job, and that's going to lead us to COVID-19. It's not just the message, but it's also the messenger. So now the DA and Cobb becomes the primary messenger in terms of what happened, process, the, 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 the how this prosecution is going to play out. And I think that it's for, I can't speak for all black people in the world, but for me, uh, that bought comfort uh, when that decision was made. Well, and I think also just to add on to that, I think that um, that choice in particular, I remember vividly when she was chosen and when John King was chosen by Governor Kemp. And I think those were two decisions that will Um, continue to reflect very well on Governor Kemp. Um, But I think uh, Mr. Thurman continues to press the point, and I just totally agree, uh, the approach toward the disproportionate share of COVID patients in Georgia, 80%, um, there needs to be, I think, a stronger message sent that these lives are um, at risk that African Americans uh, are have have just a different different lives in Georgia than than many white Georgians, and that their lives are um, more at risk in this situation, more at risk in policing situations. And I I do hope that as the governor continues to message on um, COVID nineteen, that uh, that there uh, can be more emphasis and focus on um, how much more vulnerable the black population is right now. Jim, as we, you know, I, we're going to make the turn, but before we do, a last comment on the on the case. 
you know, I, I'm 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 very interested in in this connection that that Michael is draw, drawing between COVID nineteen and yeah. and the 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 Ar 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 Arbery case. It, it is uh, it is all about trust. It is all about confidence in in the system, and and we have a we've got a political system that because of this polarization people aren't talking to each other you've got one one side who gets 50 50 point one percent of the vote and it makes all the decisions doesn't consult the other side uh and 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 it's it's kind of it's it's uh it's killing us uh on the streets of brunswick and it's killing us in south to cab so let's move on, uh, uh, Mike Thurman, to uh, talking about COVID-19. We've done, at, and I was really pleased that you were part of it. We did a show, I guess it was week before last now, on the disproportionate toll that uh, this disease is taking on African Americans. I want to just quote briefly from an article that the New York Times posted on their website uh, this morning. Um, and, and some of it, Mike, you will already uh, nod and say, yep, we already knew this. Decades of research shows that black patients rece receive inferior medical care to white patients. A long history of experimentation, exploitation, and mistreatment has left many African Americans deeply suspicious of the medical establishment. Now comes COVID-19 and the fear among many families, social scientists, and public health experts that racial bias might be contributing to the disproportionate high rates at which the disease is killing African Americans. And here's the uh, last sentence I'll read from that. Preliminary, preliminary re research, Mike, by a Boston-based biotech firm suggests that treatment may not be consistent across the board. The study found that black people who visited hospitals with COVID-19 symptoms in February and March were less likely to get tested or treated than white patients. Mike? No, it was a wonderful article. I read it early this morning, and it speaks volumes about the challenges we're facing. And it's black and it's brown and it's people who are poor and who lack portfolio uh, in the medical arena. And consequently, uh, as, as horrendous as the situation was in, in Glenn County, which it is, this is playing out every day all across this nation and here in Georgia when African-Americans and others are dying needlessly because, and by the way, let me say this. I always want to point out, there is no genetic predisposition among African-Americans become infected with COVID-19. It's just not, and we shouldn't treat it that way. This is the result, as you pointed out, as the article pointed out, of uh, disparities and just playing uh, racism in the dispense of uh, medical treatment and care, but it's also uh, pre-existing comorbidities and you have a disproportionate number of poor people, uh, black and brown and others and poor people who work in jobs where you cannot safely uh, work remotely. They're in the chicken plant. They're driving the motor buses. They're collecting the trash and working in the sanitation department. So consequently, they're going to be impacted in a disproportionate way. But it's, it's something that can be mitigated. We can't accept it as a fact. This is something that if we take the appropriate step, we can mitigate. I want to go back to the DA. Part of it, and Jim Galloway mentioned it, about lack of trust 
in the political arena as well as on the medical side. One of the things that Chris Carr did was he selected a person who, quite frankly, let's just be clear, he's a smart man and he was doing the calculation. He wanted to reassure African-Americans in particular that justice would be done, whatever justice is, and will be in Glenn County. So consequently, uh, through the governor, they bought in an African-American. One of the weaknesses we've had is that many of the people being disproportionately impacted in Georgia, it's not just the message, but it's the messenger. You know, where is Calvin Smyra? He's been the go-to guy for decades. <laughs> you work the legislature, Jim. You know that in, in situations like this, we are, they always were called, the Democrat and Republican leadership were called on a Calvin Smyra to, to, so that African-Americans would feel sh- confident that they were being treated fairly. So we are here at this great crisis, this pandemic, unprecedented. People's lives are being lost. So where is the Calvin Smyra at the state level who can reassure the people of Georgia that all citizens will have equal access and be treated fairly? Well, Mike, I want to get everybody else into this conversation, but before I do, I think there's a follow-up we need to ask you. Uh, to what what can, aside from words, what can a Calvin Smyre, what do you want from a Governor Kemp to reassure you that our state leaders do understand this issue in the black community, the disproportionate impact, and that they're prepared to do something about it? I, I, I think it's more than just calling on them to say the right words, isn't it? Well, I think Patricia said, first you got to acknowledge that this is actually a fact. An acknowledgement that 83% of the people who were hospitalized in the month of April are African-American. That's from top down. Those are just facts. We need a public health leader and a governor that will acknowledge that. Then secondly, though, to bring forward a strategy that addresses that particular issue. You can't treat this as a Georgia problem because it is impacting different uh, geographic areas and different demographics differently. So consequently, you need to develop a strategy that recognizes that. Now, in the message and in the messenger, in the deployment of resources, and that's first and foremost what needs to occur. Uh, uh, yeah, M- Michael, uh, help us understand the disparity here. Tell us, uh, tell us. Y- you said that you spent part of the weekend distributing uh, COVID care kits. What was in those kits? Uh, hand sanitizer, uh, two ounce bottle, two and and why? Non surgical mask. What's that, Jim? Uh, why were? Uh, uh, tell us why. And I've never seen people more gracious and thankful for having received something that I've been a part of. Uh, I was the labor commissioner during Katrina when 50,000 evacuees from uh, New Orleans came and we had to get them on unemployment benefits. Uh, You know, I was there at 9-11 as labor commissioner. I was there during the Great Recession. Nothing like this have I ever experienced. And what people were saying to me, you know, we've been telling folks, uh, wash your hands, use sanitizer, wear a mask. Well, they don't sell masks in the family dollar or at the convenience store. The, the sanitizer, if you live in a, a, a socioeconomically depressed community, 
You just don't have access to these resources. It's tough enough for people like myself and you to get them. So it's, and one lady said, and she actually was on channel too. She said, thank you for helping to save our lives. I've never seen anything like it. And something Bill said, the truth, let, let me say this. The narrative went out that things are getting better. Well, in DeKalb County between May 5th and May 10th, we've had 178 additional confirmed cases. Eight more people died. In Fulton County between May 5th and May 10th, there were 257 confirmed cases, nine people died. In Cobb County, there were 176 new cases, 10 people died. In Gwinnett County, there were 225 new cases, six people died. And in Clayton County, there were 77 new cases with one confirmed death. That's between 5, May 5th, and May 10th. Things are not just getting better in Georgia. They may be getting better in some parts of Georgia, right. but they're not getting better in Hall County. All right, let me let me jump in. Uh, we've really got to get to a break. Tom Faust is uh, pulling his hair out, saying, "I get get to a break. Let's do that. We'll come back and continue this conversation in a moment." Quick program note: as uh, Patricia Murphy, who's been covering the Capitol for a GPB, knows. Uh, they're in a heap of trouble down there in terms of the budget. I mean, the revenues have dropped to so precipitously uh, that they're trying to figure out how they're going to cobble together a budget for the next fiscal year. Tomorrow on Political Rewind, Terry England, the uh, chairman of the Appropriations Committee, will join us and give us some of the his initial uh, thoughts as he's begun his Appropriations Committee hearing on what they're planning to do in the uh, effort to fight back to some sense of normality in the state. Um, I want to get all of you into this. We've only got about five minutes left. But, Sam, I, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, Mike makes so clear, it's the theme of this show today, um, this virus, once again, we've talked about it before, uh, simply reveals in more dramatic ways than ever uh, the disparities that already exist in American society and race being a big one. It's heartbreaking when you think about what Mike is talking about, Sam. So I, I think that the, the issue is how do you respond? Uh, and Mike mentioned one great idea, which was the uh, packages to, to, to homes. You know, many of the urban governments in Georgia and throughout our country have been given piles of money under the CARES Act, and they can't be used for loss of revenue. They have to be used overtly to fight COVID-19. And at the same time, we are putting a huge burden on our nonprofit community that frankly doesn't have the, the dollars, despite a lot of well-meaning citizens. Uh, I would think for the state of Georgia and for the urban governments to frankly get more involved in the uh, Meals on Wheels, the, the, the food for our seniors, the food for folks that are uh, food insecure, to provide with any of those packages, the hand sanitizers, et cetera, uh, is, is a great idea to show that government works. It's a great idea to show that people care. And that to the extent Mike is doing that, that's fantastic. And now it's time for everyone else to do it, too. Also, I think... Um 
Uh, Bill, you mentioned the upcoming um, committee hearings, and then there's going to be, I'm sure, a very uh, serious debate at the state capitol about the budget. Um, I, they are going to have to watch very closely what gets cut and for whom. Um, I am homeschooling my kids right now. Um, I have the great fortune of being able to be at home with them. Um, we have internet uh, connection and I can let one of them use my computer. I'm so worried about so many kids in lower income neighborhoods um, who have not been able to really be homeschooled at all. They um, it, it cuts to education, cuts to healthcare. Um, we know that uh, because uh, healthcare among African Americans is just disproportionately poorer, um, they've been more vulnerable here. Um, this whole virus. Looks examines the situation, who has been able to build their houses on higher ground and who has not. Um, if you're at lower ground in the society, the virus is, it, it, you are so much more vulnerable. And these state cuts, I think, to have to really keep that in mind. Right. And, and uh, Patricia, just to, to emphasize that point, is is one thing that's going to have to be examined is, is uh, appropriations for, for health care. Uh, yes. Right now, I, th I think Medicaid expansion uh, is is further away than ever because the state would have to pony up something like an extra two hundred million to 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 pay for its share, and that money just isn't there. But I think you're going to have the we're going to have to keep an eye on seeing if, uh, state state uh, uh, payments to to healthcare departments, county healthcare departments. I think that is going to become uh, absolutely essential to watch. Um, we're almost out of time, but Mike, you were the one who brought up the figures in Metro Atlanta for cases of COVID-19 and deaths around it. Um, at the same time that the governor continues to want to encourage a state to open over the weekend, he cheered the fact, for good reason, that um, uh, hospitalizations are lower than they've been since the very beginning of April. But your caution is, and we've got about two minutes, you've got about 45 seconds on this one, uh, uh, your caution is, we're really not ready to open. Isn't that what you're telling us? Well, we should be cautious. I'm just repeating what the scientists and the uh, infectious disease experts are actually saying, is that we have to be extremely careful, have to recognize that there are jurisdictions where the case count is actually going up, not down, and have a more localized response to opening up the state of Georgia. All right, let me real quick, just what kind of hit has the DeKalb County budget taken? How deep in the hole are you guys right now? Well, you know, I budgeted for a recession in 2020, not a pandemic-fueled recession, but obviously we are going to be negatively impacted and we're going to have to cut back. And as my dad used to say, we got to make do with what we have. Michael Thurman gets the last word on today's Political Rewind. Michael, thank you very much. Patricia Murphy, Sam Olins, uh, Jim Galloway, thank you for a really, I thought, meaningful and smart conversation on Political Rewind today. Again, Terry England, the uh, chair of the Appropriations Committee, joins us on Political Rewind tomorrow. Uh, I hope you join us for that show. In the meantime, uh, have a very good day. Take care.